Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be in your house, Lord. We pray your presence will be felt here today. We lift Dr. Wheeler up to you. You'd give him your words and he would deliver them. There would be someone out there, Lord, today that hears exactly what they need to hear to step out of that pew and come down here and give their life to you. Knowing that you've taken our sins and you've died for them and you were risen, defeating death forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And if you will, thank you, choir. And thank you, guys. Daniel, appreciate it, bud. I appreciate it. And, and uh, I know we have one of the Bibles left here, so some of need to pick that up here in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles up to Jeremiah chapter 20. And what I want to do this morning is speaking, we talk about the, the family. I want to talk a little bit about the, the need I think we have for prophets in our culture who speak truth. That we as families, we as families will be the ones who pass that to the next generation. There was a British political leader who once said, we know what happens when people who, uh, people who stay in the middle of the road, they always get ran over. When you read history, when you see what's happened in history, you know, uh, I, I love looking back at the uh, uh, revival, of, of uh, the Welsh revival. There was an article that was printed, I read here in church uh, several months ago, talking about the boiling of Christ. And the cool thing was, the boiling of Christ was, it wasn't written about church members or pastors. It was written directly to the fact that there were young people, there were teenagers who were boiling with Christ because they had had God had touched their life so much. So Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 13 simply says, You deceived me, Lord, and I deceived, I was deceived, seized by you and prevailed. I'm a laughing stock all the time. I, I, everyone ridicules me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction because the word of the Lord has become for me a constant disgrace and derision. When I say I won't mention him, that is God, anymore, or speak any longer of his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. For I've heard the gossip of many people, the terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. Everyone I trusted watches, watches for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived so that we might prevail against him. And take your vengeance on him. But the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. Therefore, my, prosecu uh, my, uh, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded... They will be utterly ashamed, and everlasting humiliation will be upon them, and they will never be forgotten. Lord of hosts, testing the righteous and seeing the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have presented my cause to you. Sing, O Lord, praise the Lord, for he rescues the life of the needy from the hand of the evil. Let's talk about this. Let's go back a little bit, and it's not on the PowerPoint, but let me just mention this. Chapter 18, the warning of what happens here, and I'll come back to this in just a minute and explain it to you. In chapter 18, it says, I scatter my people before their enemies like autumn leaves in a wind. On their day of doom, they will stare at my back as I walk away, catching not so much as a glimpse of my face. Chapter 19, just right before this, Jeremiah came back from Topeth 
where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, stood in the courtyard of the Lord's temple and proclaimed to all the people, this is what the Lord of hosts of of God, the God of Israel says, I am about to bring on the city and all its dependent villages all the disaster that I have spoke against it, for they have become obstinate, not obeying my words. The reason why chapter 20 is there, there's a guy named Pashur. He was the chief of the temple. And Pashur's responsibility was to oversee the temple. But yet he had compromised himself so much in the temple that Pashur, he didn't care what God said anymore. He only cared about keeping people happy. And so what happened was there wasn't a prophetic voice in the land. Jeremiah steps up and he begins to speak and he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. Chapter 18, he says, if you don't stop, our God is going to turn away from you and all you're going to see is his back. In chapter 19, he says, this must end. In chapter, chapter 20, he simply tells us, this is the time, O Lord. Why? Because here's what happened. He spoke against what was happening in the land. What was happening in the land? If you look at chapter 19, what you see was they went to a place. It was literally, you get the word Gehenna from. And it was a place, what they would do is, is they, would, they were so involved, they'd walk so far away from Yahweh God that they would literally take their children and they would offer them up as a sacrifice there. I won't tell you everything that history says about that because it would gross you out completely. But let me just say this to you. On a day when we dedicate our children, I think oftentimes we sacrifice our children on many altars. We sacrifice our families and our children on the altar of, of, of entertainment all the time. We sacrifice our children on the altars of convenience. I'm so tired of walking into restaurants and seeing families not talking, but seeing their children sitting there looking at a screen and nobody talking to each other. We've sacrificed our future generations because we don't have a prophetic voice in the homes. Guys, the statistics, particularly in the inner city, of the lack of fathers who will stand up in their homes and not even there, they're just non-present, is astronomical. Do you realize that the most influential relationship a young woman will ever have is whether or not she receives the blessing from her father? And if she never receives her father, she will never receive the blessing from her father. Therefore, the chances are, and I've seen this throughout 36 years of ministry, chances are when she can, she'll start looking for the companionship of another man. You know, when it shows statistically that she'll start having sex at 13 or 14 years old, if not earlier. Pornography plays a huge part of this. The average young man sees his first pornographic material now at eight years old. It's not a laughing matter. We need men to stand up and be men. We need fathers to stand up and be fathers. We have a bunch of wimpy guys who don't want to be those dads because they're afraid they might have to actually do something and lead their families. It's the truth. I see those young men stand in my my office and my classes every single day. We need men to stand up. We need moms to stand up. We need, we need to stop raising our kids on the, and, and laying them out on the altar of convenience. We need to stand up and do the right thing. We need prophets in our homes to speak truth. Jeremiah was beaten. This was only the first of many times that Jeremiah was beaten. You can read the stories, but, but guys, it just blows me away. I mean, come on. He uses the word obstinate there. The word there, obstinate means stubborn, bullheaded, self-willed, perverse, stiff-necked, unwilling to listen, or literally 
to stand in the way of reason or to be totally arrogant. We need it. If we're going to, guys, I've said this before and it is so true. If you're going to change a nation, you don't change a nation by changing who's in the White House. You change a nation by changing the home. And how do you change the home? You change the home by changing what the families do in the home. And how do you do that? You also change what we do in church. Our homes should be places of worship. They should be holy places by which we stand up and do the right thing. That's what they're supposed to be. So what do we learn from Jeremiah? What do we learn from him? Number one, face it. Assuming the prophet's mantle is difficult. I mean, it is. If you look what it says in verse 7, it says, You deceived me, Lord. I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed me. Literally, the word there means you raped me. In other words, he thought he was being tricked by God. He said, I'm a laughingstock. All the time, everyone ridicules me. Because everyone ridicules the prophet. I had a young lady sit in my office this week. Beautiful young lady. She sat in my office this week, with a, and I had my daughter Karen and some other ones there, and this is what she said. She said, all my friends want to do is party and sleep with everybody around, everybody they can. And she said, they make fun of me. They, she said, they actually told her that if you don't start sleeping around now, no man's ever going to want you. She said, what do I do? And I said, first of all, you, you need to get new friends. And number two, you need to stand up for what is right. You go back to those friends and you tell them that if they can't accept you the way they are, you're not going to be their friend. It's that simple. You're not going to party with them. You're not going to do that because someone needs to stand up and do the right thing. It's hard to be a prophet. It's hard, difficult, guys. It is. Prophets don't have the luxury of being indifferent. Parents, we do not have the luxury of sitting in our homes and simply saying, I'm going to let my child choose what way they want to go. I'm not going to influence anything they do. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes, I use the word stupid. Your responsibility, our responsibility, my responsibility as a dad is to influence my children and to help them and point them in the way of righteousness, to not sit back and let a world rob them of the very things that they should have in God. That's exactly what we're doing. We're sitting back and letting, you want to know why our nation's falling? Our nation's falling because our families are falling. Because it's interesting to me that the world cries tolerance. Tolerance literally is the ability and willingness to tolerate something in a, pecu- you know, a particular existence or of opinions. By nature, tolerance demands reciprocation. We don't have tolerance in our culture. We have tyranny. What is Tyranny. A rigorous condition or opinion imposed by some outside agency or force describes a representative arbitrarily cruel regime to be a tyrant who is oppressive and unjustly severe. I call it bullying. A means to persecute, oppress, tyrannize, browbeat, harass, torment, intimidate. To strong arm. What does our culture say? There's no such thing as tolerance. Either you agree with people or you hate them in our culture, right? I preached the same message in convocation last year. I took, the, I took up there with me a book, a guy named Stephen. Stephen was the first AIDS patient I ever met. I baptized his, his uh, 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 nephews. I knew his mom really well. She was a cancer patient. She'd gone to our church. Stephen's brother had already died of AIDS. Stephen was in the advanced stages of AIDS. Stephen's father had abused him since the time he was three and four years old, sexually abused him for over 10 or 12 years. So Stephen could finally get out of the home and avoid it. Stephen felt a call to go to ministry, so he went to Criswell College, but he 
fell back into a lifestyle, reacting to what happened to him as a kid of homosexuality, and next thing you know, he has AIDS. I stood there with him next to his bed back in the late 1980s and early 90s, held his hand and prayed with him in the days when we didn't know what caused AIDS. Because I loved Stephen. I loved him. I wanted him to know Christ, and he did know Christ. He came to know Christ. It didn't change the AIDS that, that, that took his, ravaged his body, but it gave him a promise of a heaven later on. And I stood with him day after day after day after day and cared for him. You know what's funny to me? I, I, I took this book because when Stephen died, Stephen collected old commentaries. You can go to my, my office at home and see them. I've got commentaries from the late 1800s. They were all Stephen's. They were given to me after he died by his family, thanking me for spending the time there with him. I took one of those books up in front of my students. I said, you know what the world says? The world says if I don't agree with that lifestyle, then I must have hated Stephen. That's tyranny. Because you know what the Bible, you know what, you know what guys? The, that's not true. Because if Stephen could stand up and tell you today, he would say, no, David cared for me. To tell me I have to agree with someone in order to love them is the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's not true. We don't have to do that. You know what we need to do, guys? Accepting people the way they are is not the same as condoning their sin. We need to love people right where they are and care for them. We need to care for them. We need to take the gospel to them boldly. But that doesn't mean we have to compromise our convictions in doing so. Because I don't agree with my wife on everything. Now, she would probably tell you she's right on everything. But I don't agree with my wife on everything. That doesn't mean I don't love my wife. It means I'm human. There's a big difference between tolerance and tyranny. And think about this. And by the way, do not buy that idea that we compromise this. You know, that when we get consensus. No. Truth is never defined by compromise or group consensus or collusion. This kind of mindset ends up in bondage, but the Bible says the truth will set us free. Make no mistake, but truth is not up for debate. We either respond to it or we will ultimately be crushed by it. Integrity, character, that's what we need to raise up our children to have. They have become lost words in our society and in the church. And think about it. Like cancer or any chronic illness, it starts small with a, in a molecular level where it's rarely noted. At first, we, we often feel that we can control the outcome. But then it grows and quickly spreads to the point that the illness controls us. That is what happens when sin is allowed to exist without a prophet's mindset and outside of truth. As the old saying goes, sin will ultimately take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you can pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay, and eventually it will bankrupt our souls. It's what sin does. It's what sin does. We cannot compromise any longer. We cannot do this. We in our culture cannot compromise. I don't know if any of you ever heard of Martin Niemöller. He, 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 makes, he, he makes a reference of perceived silence of the church in Germany. He, he, in other words, he blamed what happened in Germany much to the silence of the church in culture not saying anything. As Hitler was rising in fame, the church didn't say anything. And Niemöller, talked, he recalled a slippery slope. Here's what he said. He said, the Germans, they, they got rid of the sick, the so-called incurables, I remember a conversation I had with a person who claimed to be a Christian. He said, perhaps it's right 
These incurably sick people just cost the state money and they're just a burden to themselves and to others. Isn't it best for all concerned that they are taken out of, 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 the, of society? Only then did the church as such take note. Then we started talking until our voices were again silenced in the public. Can we say that we aren't guilty or responsible? The persecution of the Jews, the way we treated the occupied countries, and the things in Greece and Poland and Czechoslovakia and Holland that, that, that were written in the newspapers. I believe we, confessing church Christians, have every reason to say, say, my fault. My fault. I take responsibility for this. Why? Because we can take, t- talk ourselves out of it and think we had nothing to do with it and excuse ourselves. But had we spoken up, what would have happened? Then he goes on further and he makes an observation you've probably heard before. He says, first, Hitler's people, they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not Jewish. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out. Where are the prophets? Where are the prophets? The prophets do not have the luxury of being anonymous, of being indifferent. Where are the prophets? Where are they? Let me give you a couple practical things we can do here. First of all, you need to know that you are all called by God, every one of us. Every man and woman here has a calling of God upon your life. Number two, you have to own your call. You have to. You know, he accused God of raping or seducing him. You know, we need to know your identity in Christ. Jeremiah needed to own his call. He needed to recognize his call. You have to be willing to obey God, number three, when it it is everything you can to muster up energy. Even when you know you're stepping into a hellstorm. You may, uh, that may take your life. Remember, in our weakness, he is strong. Here's the bottom line. We need more prophets speaking truth that represents genuine Christianity, not entertainers or moralistic maintainers of the status quo looking for peace that will never exist separate from truth. One commentator said this in reference to the prophet. His revelation is by inspiration, and inspiration is the breathing of God's spirit into man's spirit so that he becomes so possessed by God and the truth that he must speak it or die trying. Prophets don't hold truth. The truth holds them. And before I move on, I want to go one step further. As it relates to church leaders, that's pastors, staff members, teachers, all of us, myself including, we are in a desperate need of courageous prophets, Christ followers in our day who are totally consumed by truth, not consumed by the narcissistic desire to build a shallow reputation or to work a job for the applause of cowardice men who want their ears tickled, their wallets padded, and are unwilling to completely sell out their lives for the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. We need prophets in our day. We need prophets in our home. We need prophets in our pulpits. We need prophets in our culture. We need prophets in our day. Number two, Prophets understand that truth always cuts deep. You will find out who your real friends are. What does he say? He says, for I have heard the gossip of many people. Terrors on every side. Report him. Let's report him. Everyone I trusted watches for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived so that he might prevail against him and take our vengeance on him. Understand that truth always cuts deep. You'll find out who your real friends are when you stand up and speak the truth. People's words and actions will often threaten your fire, I can promise you that. But ultimately, only you, we, can relinquish the fire. 
And keep in mind this, this is some of the things that, that Jeremiah did in this passage. Keep in mind that anger is never your friend. We never make good decisions when we're angry. Jeremiah got angry and began to fire back at God. But how about this? Insecurity will destroy your life and influence. Insecurity makes us only seek after ourselves. It makes us weak. We don't stand up for truth when we're weak. Revenge is never the answer. He said, Lord, pour down this upon them. No, it will only contaminate your heart. We don't need revenge in the church. We need compassion. We need to teach and raise up a generation that cares. At the end of the day, whether we like it or not, regardless of the pain, the truth is the only thing that sets people free. Number three, in the end, prophets realize that the inner fire is the essential life and being of being a true follower of Christ. What did he say? This is what hit me. Verse 9, he says, I won't mention him. In other words, Jeremiah was putting stocks in the middle of the temple. Jeremiah had been beaten. Jeremiah had been, been literally abused by the culture. And, and Jeremiah had not been treated with the respect that a, a prophet needed or, or, des, or deserved. And, and what did he do? He says, I didn't want to speak his name, that's God's name, any longer. He says, however, his message, his message of hope, his message of redemption, the very message we just sang about, becomes like a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in, and it cannot prevail. In other words, I cannot be silent in my day. Look, if we are going to see change, we as his church must stand up, we must speak out, we must be the prophets in our home, in our culture. And here's a few warnings I want to give you. I'm done days will happen. Count on it. Trust me, you will grow weary in the battle pursuing truth, but don't give it up. Number two, be careful about the life decisions you make. Be careful who you marry. Don't let your eyes go back to the place where you look at things you shouldn't look. I've been in ministry so long, guys. I've seen so many families destroyed because they did the wrong thing. I sat with a, a guys this last week, and I told them, I said, I want to finish this thing strong. I want you to step into my life anytime and tell me, I don't want to disgrace my family, my God, and my children. None of us need to. My father was a man I could look up to. My father did not mind telling me how much he loved me every single day. But my father did not sit back and let me just wobble back and forth. My father spoke truth into my life. That's not to say that my dad, you know, indoctrinated me. No, he did not. He taught me how to think. Parents, grandparents. Listen, I hope to have grandchildren one day. I really do. Y'all know that. I've told you that a thousand times. But I tell you, I want my grandchildren to know Jesus with everything they've got. I want them to be prophets in their school where they go. I want them to speak truth into other people's lives. I want them to know what they believe and why they believe it. I want them to know that. Understanding his word is the key. Permeating your mind with the truth of his word. Hide the word of God in your life. Hide the word of God in your, your life so that you will not sin against him. Remembering that reading the word will lead you to the ultimate prize of knowing the word that is who, Jesus Christ. 
Acknowledge pride and always remember feeding only the head without equally engaging your heart and hands as Christians. Only sitting in a church and listening to sermons but never taking the gospel to your neighbors. Your student, I can tell you right now, I teach, I've had 26,000 students in the last 10 years. I don't know if you're familiar with orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. Orthodoxy is what we believe, orthopraxy is what we do, and orthopathy is what we, the way we feel. My generation, most of the older generation here was taught what to, what to do, then go do it, and then you feel the reward of what happens. This is a different generation. This generation starts from orthopathy. If they don't feel it, they're not going to do it, and they don't want to learn about it. What that means is simply this. You just bringing your kids to church, just having them sitting into a building, is not going to change generations to come. You need to take them and show them why it's important that we understand the gospel. They need to see mom and dad sharing their testimony. They need to see mom and dad talking to people about Jesus. They need to see mom and dad outside the church setting touching people's lives in, in the gospel of Christ. If they don't and they don't feel it, they will not go after it and they will not want it. I can promise you that. I see it every day. We have to, have to take them and let them experience that. You know, I, I told my wife one day, I said, Debbie, I said, I don't know how we got such good kids because I know what kind of dad I've been. My kids have seen me scream and holler and yell over the, all over the house at Tennessee football games. They saw me throw things at the screen. They have saw me throw things at them. I mean, you know what I mean? Seriously, they've seen me throw things everywhere. They've seen me do all kinds of stuff. They've seen me hit myself in the hand with a hammer and say words I shouldn't say. They've seen me people cut me off in traffic and me start screaming, hollering, yelling at them and pointing fingers at them. They've seen me do about everything. Anybody here sinful of that? You know what I'm talking about. Your kids have seen that, right? I asked Debbie one day, I said, why in the world did our kids end up? And I'll tell you why. Because when our kids were young, we would take them and they'd see us sharing the gospel with people around us. And they knew why our sinful nature came out ever so often that we loved Jesus enough to actually go tell people about him. That's what they held on to. They held on to that. If your kids don't have anything to hold on to, I promise you, don't get mad when they fall away. Don't get mad when they go in the opposite direction. They've got to have something to hold on to. They've got to have that. Ultimately, the fire must consume you, not the other way around. Surrender, not control. We pursue character, the fire consumes us over charisma where the fire consumes you. I mean, we consume the fire. Vance Havner once said, Jeremiah did not merely have something to say. He had to say something. <laughs> the fire consumed Jeremiah. I love what John Wesley once said. He made the statement, he said, if you set yourself on fire, people will come watch you burn. He then made the challenge. He said, you give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin, desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they are clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth forever. Are we consumed by the fire? We close by reading Romans 1. Verse 28 simply says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. 
undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. Now, I want you to understand something. I know this is probably not what you expected me to do today. You probably not expected me to bring the fire so much. But I'm saying this to you because I love you. Guys, we must, as God's people, we must, as parents, as grandparents, we must, we need prophets in our culture. We need to represent what truth is in our home. We need to raise up generations to come. If you read chapter 21, you know what you find out? You find out that the people of God would not listen to Jeremiah. And ultimately, the armies began to march in and took their land. You know what they did? They went to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, why don't you now go tell your God to, that, hey, we'll follow him now. The armies were lining up at their borders, ready to come in. And Jeremiah said, it's too late. You've said no for too long. You're only doing this because you see the armies and you want to save your skin. You wouldn't listen. And because you wouldn't listen, you're going to lose your land. You're going to be destroyed. And God will start over again. I know it sounds horrible. We don't have a lot of hard preaching in our day. I know guys on TV certainly don't do that very much. But let me say the truth to you. The reason why I do what I do today is because I had a mom and dad who stood up for truth in the home. I had grandparents who sat down with me in the Bible and walked it through me. I remember I came home one day from, from a seminary. I drove all night, my, Debbie and I did, on Thanksgiving to surprise my family and be there. I'd just taken my first systematic theology class in seminary. I sat down with my grandfather. And I was going to teach him everything I'd learned that semester. My grandfather reaches over. He's about 70 years old, 75 years old at the time, and pulls his worn-out Bible out. He begins to strum through the book of Genesis, then Exodus. He goes all the way through to Revelation over the next three hours. He taught me everything I'd learned and more and straightened out a few of my misconceptions along the way over the next three hours. I've got, you don't know, one thing I'm proudest of? I've got the worn-out Bibles of both my grandfathers because I'm the lone preacher in the family. That's what they gave me. You couldn't have given me anything more valuable. I've got my dad's Bible, too. It's marked up. We need prophets in the home. Would you agree? Amen? And I want to challenge you parents who dedicated your children today to stand up for truth, to speak that into the lives of your kids. Don't be scared. Don't let the culture determine how you respond. Don't let people use these names of bullying and telling you're intolerant and you're, you're, you're judgmental and you're all this because you speak truth. Don't yield your home over on the altar of sacrifice to this culture. Guys, we need people, husbands and wives, who are going to stand up for what's right and raise up generations children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that when many of us are gone, this church here is still thriving and there's still a spoken word of prophecy and truth in this community that people will know that Jesus is alive. Don't back down.
Never back down. Never stop speaking the truth. Do it with love. Do it with compassion. Take your towel and wash feet as often as you have to. Do it with humility, but don't stop doing it. And let, I love what Jeremiah says. He says, and it burned in me so much, I could not help but speak it. You know why it burned in him? Because it was truth, and that truth defined Jeremiah. Here's what I found out with parents. If the truth doesn't define you, it will not define your children and your grandchildren. It will not define your marriage. It will not define your family, and it will not define your home. Let the truth burn in us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Get ready for our invitation. I'm going to ask you this morning that if you've never received Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, I would ask you to come. Kneel at this altar. Just let me know, and I would love to share with you how Christ can be your Lord. We're going to sing just as I am this morning here in just a moment. But I want to say this to you too. I'm going to ask you this morning, this day when we have dedicated these children, would you bring your husband, your wife, your family to the altar? Will you gather around and kneel with them where you are and begin to pray that God would use your home as a holy outreach center for a community desiring and hungry for the truth? Would you be willing to turn around and bring with them and, and kneel with those, your family members down here and just come and just pray together and say, God, let our home be that lighthouse that it needs to be? Would you pray over your children and grandchildren? Would you Ask God to take and use the truth of his word to transform us, to transform our homes. I'm going to ask you to step out and come this morning and kneel together and say, God, from this point, let our home be an outreach center of truth. Let we breathe the fire of Jesus Christ. Let that permeate our souls for the glory of God. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you lead this invitation. God, I pray that you'll draw each one of us out and help us as families to gather around. Let it start in our homes. Let it start in my home, Father, with Debbie and Dana and Kara and Chris. Let it start with us that the fire of Jesus Christ, that we would speak out as prophets in a culture that desperately needs a prophet. That we'd raise up children who understand what to believe but why they believe it. And grandchildren who would be willing to stand and for the truth as well. Lord, we have a culture that's starving for truth and deliverance. And we know the deliverer and his name is Jesus. So, Father, help us to speak that truth. Help us as men to stand up and be leaders. As moms to stand up and be leaders. Help us as the children of our parents and grandparents to, to, to not replicate what Romans talks about, but to make them proud by standing up on the truth of the word as well. Build that into us. Dig that into us, Lord, that the truth will consume us. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now and we'll begin to sing. Would you come? Would you gather around with your family right there? Would you just grab hold of them and come and kneel with them and ask God to take your home and make your home that place that it needs to be? Come on, guys. Don't look across. Look around you. Find your family. Turn to them next to you. Would you do that and ask God to take your home and to pray for them and make that the place that he wants it to be, that it will be centered upon the truth 
and that we would be his prophets for the future to come. Amen? Let's sing. Turn to the folks next to you. Turn to your family members. Talk to them. Come on. If you were at home, you'd be doing this. Won't you kneel with them and pray with them? Find them. Come on. Do that. Just take this opportunity to commit your home and your family. Pray over them right now. Pray God's blessing upon them. If you need to go to the nursery and get your kids, go get them. Bring them here. And just take this moment and ask God to take your home and your family. This day when we dedicated these children, that God, that you would take our children, our families. Come on. Turn to your husband your wife. Pray over your home and your family. Do this. Take a moment right here and right now that we would be those centers of truth starting with us right now.